Welcome to the Lastinger Legends podcast. I'm Phil Pokert, your host and director of the Lastinger Center for Learning at the University of Florida. For the past 20 years, the Lastinger Center has worked to transform teaching and learning through education innovation. Inspired by the vision and leadership of our founders, faculty, funders, and friends, we've had the opportunity to support millions of people in their learning journeys. In this episode, I talk with former Dean of the College of Education, Dr. Roderick McDavis. Listen as he reflects on his educational experiences, his time as the first African-American Dean of the College of Education at the University of Florida, and how his ideas for improving public education across the state of Florida contributed to the endowment and establishment of the Lastinger Center for Learning. I began my discussion with Rod by asking about his personal background and educational experiences. I was curious, what was schooling like for Rod as he was growing up? So for me, my parents were both college educated. And that was during a period of time back in the late 40s or early 50s when there were many African Americans who did not have an opportunity to go to college. Both of my parents did and had uh, baccalaureate degrees. And so for us, our family, education was really important. And it started with both of my parents who deemed it to be important. So they wanted us to get the very best education that we could possibly receive. And they thought that going to a private school would be the best way for us to accomplish that goal. So they enrolled us in a Catholic uh, uh, elementary school. Uh, and we stayed in that school for our first six years. It was in the uh, black community. It was an all black Catholic school. And then they moved to a different part of Dayton, Ohio. And so from sixth through eighth grade, we attended another Catholic school, uh, but it was integrated. My, so my mother was really the, the primary uh, influencer in terms of education in, in, in my life because she was a teacher. She taught special education. And so very early on, uh, she took us to her school, which was a public school in Dayton, Ohio, a very large high school uh, in the black community. So after we would finish with our elementary school work and, and uh, our high school work, we'd go by her uh, high school and kind of see her uh, in, in motion. So the early influence for me wanting to be an educator really came from her. Now my father was also in education. Uh, he started out in business, but uh, he also worked at a post office in uh, my early remembrance of, of his work. But ultimately he transitioned into education as well and he worked for the school system central office. And his work was to primarily encourage those who had dropped out to come back to school. So at a very early age in my life, I understood the importance of staying in school because of the work that he did every day in terms of going out and getting young people to re-engage you know, with their education. So from both my mother and my father, uh, I saw the importance of education, not only for us as, uh, you know, my two brothers uh, and I were uh, influenced significantly by them, but also just from the standpoint of how important education is uh, to young people and to a community. So, so my influence in terms of wanting to be an educator really came from them. I reflected here with Rod that education is often like the family business, and many career educators like him and other Lastinger legends felt they learned a lot from their parents' experiences as educators. From there, we moved on to talk about Rod's own school experiences. 
Now, there are only so many people that are going to zip right through their education without any challenges. And so it helped me later in life to learn that you, you always got to emphasize to young people that you've got to work harder each year that you're in education. You just have to work a lot harder than you did the year before. Because for me, the early years of education from kindergarten through third grade or so came pretty easy. By the sixth grade, it got more challenging. And by high school, it got you know, uh, uh, even more challenging. Yeah. Sixth grade was key because it helped, helped me to it, it, you know, improve and increase my study habits. It helped me to not be afraid to ask questions, you know, because I was a pretty shy, introverted kid uh, and stayed that way, really, uh, up through uh, high school until I got to college. So it was only in college that I started to become a little bit more extroverted. But doing interviews like this, speaking publicly, not me. You know, wouldn't have any part of it, you know, as a young person in elementary school and up through high school. So, so I was one of those students who was a silent learner. You know, I kept a lot within. I didn't speak out. And I think about all those young people today that are in our schools that are like that. And I always kept that in mind as an educator from the standpoint of remembering my own experience at being that silent, quiet learner who consumed a lot, but just didn't share a lot of what either I was learning or what I was having trouble learning. So the sixth grade for me was a turnaround. From significant educational experiences in elementary, middle, and high school, we found ourselves talking about how Rod became interested in being an educator himself. My initial interest was in being a high school teacher. But what, what happened for me was that I started to become interested in you know, influencing young people in other ways. So at that point in, in, in my life, my mother had gone back to school to study counseling. So she became a high school counselor. So she moved from being a special education teacher to a high school counselor. As it turns out, that influenced me as well because I could see that her scope of influence became even larger. So instead of just influencing those students in her classroom, she was able to influence students across the whole high school. Rod's initial thinking when he entered college was that influencing law was a means to bring about change in society. But when it came to seeing himself in a career, he knew that he wanted to be an educator, more specifically, a high school counselor. And so, after completing undergraduate school at the University of Dayton, Rod's graduate work put him on that path. Then I went through a, a master's program in counseling. I went through a doctoral program in counseling, uh, counselor education at the University of Toledo. And that uh, is what brought me to the University of Florida initially, was that I put together my high school, uh, my interest in being a high school teacher with my uh, experience in studying counseling and student personnel work and became a teacher after all, except at the college level rather than, rather than at the high school level. So I took the best of what I had been interested in in my early years and just made that my vocation when I came out of my doctoral program and said, instead of going out to be a practitioner as a student affairs professional, I said, you know, in my heart, I still want to teach. So that's what brought me to uh, the University of Florida was to be a, uh, an assistant professor and a teacher in counselor education. What started out as personal inspiration from his mother's career choices led him not only to an established career in counseling education, but also to the University of Florida. How did Rod move from an assistant professor to becoming the dean of the College of Education? Of course, I was in the Department of Counselor Education, started as, as an assistant professor, and stayed with that for 10 years. 
I went through the ranks. I went from assistant to associate professor to full professor. And then I developed this interest in helping to improve uh, a university. And I thought one of the best ways to improve a university is if you're in a leadership role. Right after I, I sort of finished my undergraduate years, there was a, uh, um, an opportunity for me to really look at leadership in terms of student affairs, but I chose teaching rather than going into leadership in student affairs. But that never left me. So for me, it was, it was sort of beginning to study what it would take to become a dean, what it would take to become a provost and ultimately a president. And I learned two things. One, hard work. Two, and most importantly, that you had to sort of stomp the grapes before you could drink the wine. And that is to say, you had to publish in referee publications, so you had to be a scholar, you had to be an exemplary teacher, you had to enjoy advising students, you had to embrace all that academia presented from the standpoint of being a faculty member. So lesson one was be a great faculty member. That's the best way to become a leader in higher education is to be a great faculty member. Because that's the grassroots. The teaching and learning experience is critical to what higher education is all about. So I, I thought I'd master that first, did 10 years of that, and then I went to see uh, then the provost at uh, University of Florida, who I had gotten to meet along the way a little bit, and, and we had a little bit of a relationship. So I went to him, and I said, you know, I have this interest in being uh, uh, an administrator. And, you know, I knew he was busy, so I had like maybe 30 minutes on his calendar. So we, we had this nice conversation, and at the end of the conversation, um, he said, well, I'll, 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 I'll keep you in mind, you know, if there are any opportunities. Rod's first opportunity came a few months later, when the provost offered him an interim position as assistant dean of the graduate school. It was in this position that Rod learned the ins and outs of administration across the entirety of the university. According to Rod, this position required that he learn quickly. Since the graduate school operates university-wide, and impacts many students, faculty, staff, and administrators. Rod found that he enjoyed this opportunity and in a few years was promoted to associate dean of the graduate school here at the University of Florida. And then I went back to see the provost and about my third or fourth year. And I said, you know, I'm having a great time. I enjoy this. You know, so they took the interim title off. They made me permanent and everything was going well. And I said, I really would like to be a dean at the University of Florida. And that's when reality hit. He said, well, Rod, I got bad news for you. I don't hire internal deans. All the deans I hire come from somewhere else. And so I thought, you know, I've been at University of Florida 15 years, uh, been a faculty member, been an assistant associate dean. I came to that point where I said, I have to leave if I'm gonna, you know, uh, achieve my dream of being a dean. So as it turns out, uh, I kept applying for deans, uh, dean of education positions. And I also applied for some dean of graduate school positions, but I was really tilted more toward dean of education because that was my uh, academic home. And I thought being a dean of, of a college of education would be a high honor because then it would allow me to work with K-12. It would allow me to get uh, involved with sort of my college focus, which was working with high school teachers, etc. Long story short, opportunity came open at the University of Arkansas. And so I applied to be dean of education at the University of Arkansas and was fortunate enough to uh, get that appointment. As Rod explained, he had reached his dream of serving as a dean of education, 
and spent the next five years in Arkansas learning all he could about administration, fundraising, and leadership. And then Rod received a call from the University of Florida. We were doing extremely well at the University of uh, Arkansas. My, my, my two sons, uh, we had two sons at that time. They were in uh, elementary and, and, and junior high uh, at that point. And uh, we just built a home in um, 1994. We just built a home. And I remember it was maybe September of that academic year. And uh, Joe Whitmer, who was the uh, chair of the Department of Counselor Education still at that time, he was the guy that hired me back in 1974. So Joe gave me a call and said, hey, Rod, you know, Dave Smith has just announced he's stepping down as dean. And some of us would really like for you to come back and be the dean. And I said, Joe, stop. Let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm unpacking boxes. Deborah and I just built a home and we're literally, I mean, I'm just moving in. I'm literally unpacking boxes. This is not a good time for me to have this conversation. So he said, okay, let me, let me, let me call you back. He called me back like every two weeks. The application period at that time had a hard deadline like December of whatever that year was, uh, 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 93 maybe, some, something like that. So uh, he, kept, he kept calling me back. Finally, in December of that year, I applied to come back to the University of Florida as Dean of the College of Education. I was very fortunate and privileged to get that, get that assignment and came back here in 1994 as, uh, as Dean of Education. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just built the house. Yeah, just built the house. Yeah. Just built the house. And, and so one of the things that my wife said was, you know, okay, we'll go back to Gainesville under, under one condition. And I said, great, what? She said, we have to build another house. <laughs> so we did. Before the, the opportunity to serve at uh, Ohio University, the, the honor for me to be the, 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 the first African-American dean at the University of Florida and to be dean of, of my college, the college that gave me the opportunity to, to really start my uh, uh, academic career, uh, that was a peak moment as well uh, because it brought everything together. You know, that was sort of the first, if I look at my career in two different halves, that was sort of the peak of the first half of my career, having been here for 15 years, then leaving for five years and being dean at the University of uh, Arkansas, then coming back and being able to serve as dean for that five years and being the first African-American dean at the University of Florida, uh, that, was, that was really a, a, a great honor. It is the college's honor to have had Dr. Roderick McDavis serve as the first African-American dean at the University of Florida. Many who have followed Rod are grateful for the trail he blazed for them. It was during this time that Rod got to know Alan and Dolores Lastinger and became involved in the initial endowment of the Lastinger Center. Great story. This is a great story. So, so when I came back to the University of Florida, I mentioned earlier that I learned a lot about fundraising as a dean at the University of Arkansas. So when I came back to the University of Florida, it was about to start uh, a major capital campaign. It was a campaign that was called It's Performance That Counts. That, that's a campaign that started here in 1996. So I'd been a dean here for a couple years when that campaign started. And so uh, when the provost and the president came to the deans, they said, all of you folks need to develop a plan you know, for what you're gonna do in terms of fundraising. So I got this concept that what would make sense for the College of Education in its fundraising campaign would be to focus on 
how can we improve and enhance public education in the state of Florida? That was sort of gonna be our big picture, that we were gonna raise money so that through the College of Education, we would be able to significantly impact and influence an improvement in public education. And what I said to the president and provost at the time, in order for us to do that, we've gotta be able to link with the business community. That, that I needed permission from them to be able to talk to heads of banks, to be able to talk to, to business folks in chambers of commerce, because it was the business community that had a strong hand in public education in whatever community it was located across the state of Florida. So that we could get the business community to give us significant funding to help improve public education. At that time, Alan Lastinger uh, was president of Barnett Bank. And so we did a little research and found out that Allen had been an alumnus of uh, not only the University of Florida, but P.K. Young, and that Dolores uh, Lastinger had been an alumnus of the College of Education at uh, the University of Florida. We said, this is a marriage made in heaven. So we reached out uh, to talk with both uh, Dolores and Allen and uh, gave them a sense of what we were all about, what we wanted to do in our campaign to significantly find ways to improve public education uh, in Florida through the uh, University of Florida College of Education. They liked the idea. And they said, what can we do to help? So we put together a proposal uh, that would design a center. The big picture would be you know, that their endowment would help us create a center. And through that center, we didn't have all the pieces in place, but we just knew that through this center that we could have a positive impact on significantly influencing uh, better educational outcomes across uh, K-12 uh, in Florida and, per and perhaps beyond. So um, they funded it. They gave us a major gift, the largest gift uh, in, the, in the history of the, of, the, of the College of Education at that point in time. And we were off and running. Uh, a few years later, uh, the Lastinger Center was born. And 20 years later, it is, it is still here. It is one of my proudest achievements from my deanship at the College of Education was to uh, get to know the Lastingers, to um, see what wonderful people they are, and to understand that their passion for improving um, education matched my passion and matched the college's passion for improving K-12 education. When I listen to stories about the establishment of the Lastinger Center, I can't imagine how exciting a time it was, where the stars aligned around a group of people who came together with a vision and energy to make a significant difference in education. I asked Rod what his aspirations were for the Lastinger Center and for what it would become. Phil, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I didn't know, but this is what I did know, that this college had vast potential to positively impact change in education in the state of Florida. With the University of Florida brand, this College of Education, I believed, could work with superintendents all across the state, could work with other educators all across the state, and come up with good ideas for how we can improve K-12 education for young people and specifically for those who were in underserved communities, specifically for those who otherwise may not have an opportunity to get 
a K-12 education, what could this college do to make its mark? So I didn't have all the details ironed out. I didn't know uh, what all the tentacles would be from the Lastinger Center. What I did know is that this endowment would create the opportunity for people of like minds to come together and to figure out the details of how this center could, could impact Florida and beyond. The center has, has long had an, a mission focused on, on pursuing and um, achieving educational equity. Um, I wonder how you think about, how do you define educational equity? Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's you know, and, and again, I'm gonna go back to my own experience. As a, as a young African-American growing up in Dayton, Ohio, you know, I had the privilege of going to a private school, getting the very best education. And I long felt that the way we create uh, equity in our country is to create through public education the opportunity for any American person to have a quality education. So where you're born, where you grow up should not define the quality of education that's afforded to you. So my sense of equity is how do we level the playing field in terms of creating opportunity? We level that playing field by making sure that all of our public schools are at a high quality level in terms of educational outcome. That they're all focused on doing the very best job they can to help all of our students reach their highest goal. And I thought this college and the Lastinger Center could play a role in that. May not solve all the problems, may not have all the answers, but could it start the ball rolling through this college of education that may then also have a domino effect on other colleges of education that ultimately we create that, that, that true equity across K-12 education that I think this nation could really benefit from. Now we're not there yet, but I think we've taken some steps and I think the Lastinger Center has played a major role in Florida and in other states in helping to take a step toward equity. In closing, I asked Rod what he thinks the Lastinger Center means to teachers and students today. To teachers and students, the Lastinger Center means coming together for a common purpose. For teachers, it's using the very best educational methods they can bring to fore to help students learn at the very highest levels that they can learn. Teachers and students are the core of education. The buildings and all these other facilities are just here to help facilitate that connection. But it's that connection that I think the Lastinger Center can help to raise to a higher level of excellence. Perfect. I think you just dropped the mic. <laughs> that was wonderful, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you yeah. so much. In 1999, Rod stepped down as Dean of the College of Education. As an interim dean is appointed, the College of Education moves forward through the formation of a committee tasked with the responsibility of searching for the future center's first director. Alan Lastinger recalls. Uh, there were a number of interviews, a number of searches, a number of failures in terms of finding the kind of person that uh, we felt was, or the committee felt was appropriate for the director's position. And then David Colburn, who was then provost of the university, called me one day and said, um, Alan, we've got a guy on the committee who you know very well, uh, 
Don Pemberton, who I think would make an excellent director for the center. In the next episode, hear my conversation with the Lastinger Center's first director, Dr. Don Pemberton, as he reflects on his tenure at the University of Florida and the role he played in launching the Lastinger Center for Learning. To learn more about the Lastinger Center and the incredible people who established and built it, visit our website at lastinger.center.ufl.edu.